0: if Jesus had ever come out and said something just direct like, hey, here's something you better make sure you learn, you'd think that would be like a major teaching of the church, right? Or if Jesus ever, ever said, here's some people who have rejected me, and the reason they rejected me is because they didn't learn this. If Jesus had ever been that direct, you'd think like we would have this memorized. We'd teach it in Sunday school. It would be a just a a a major teaching of our church. Well, Jesus did exactly that. Sometimes I never cease to be amazed. I never stop being amazed by this book and what's in here. I was struck. I was studying for last week's sermon. And the story of Jesus calling Matthew and the Pharisees come and say, why does Jesus eat with tax collectors and sinners? And as a part of that answer, in verse 13, Jesus says to some Pharisees, go and learn what this means. I want mercy and not sacrifice. I desire mercy more than I desire sacrifice. Now, I assume that Jesus doesn't want only Pharisees to learn that. That's probably for us too, wouldn't you suppose? Then, a few chapters later in, in chapter 12, speaking to these same people, when, after they have obviously rejected Jesus, check out what Jesus says. He brings this same quote. It's a quote from the prophet Hosea. And in chapter 12, Jesus says, If you had known what this means... I want mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent, and he's the innocent. So so here's what we have. In chapter 9, Jesus tells some people, you have better learn what I mean when I say, I desire mercy more than I desire sacrifice. And they don't learn it. And then in chapter 12, he tells them, you know why you've rejected me? Because you didn't do what I told you to. You didn't go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I was struck by that. And I thought, man, maybe we should take a whole week and go and learn what this means. If it's this big of a deal, maybe we better go and learn what this means. I want to set the, the context for, for how, for when Jesus gave that chapter 9 challenge to us to go and learn what this means. So we're going to read the whole thing. If you've got a Bible... You can open to Matthew chapter 9. We're going to read. It's the same passage we studied last week, but really one part of one verse is all we're studying today. Um, It's at the top. Let's read Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. They read this way. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting in the tax collector's booth. And Jesus said to Matthew, follow me. And Matthew got up and followed him. Then it happened that as Jesus was reclining at the table in the house, in Matthew's house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why is your teacher eating with the tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard this, he said, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice, or mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. The, uh, the overall story, I don't want to reteach last week's sermon, but Jesus uh, was on the outside of Capernaum, And he saw a tax collector named Matthew sitting in his booth. Tax collectors were among the most hated members of society in in first century Israel. And the fact that Jesus would, without, you know, Matthew didn't apply for the job or anything. Jesus just invites a tax collector to become a full-time follower. That would have been nothing short of scandalous in that day. And then to make matters worse, Matthew throws a dinner party at his house. And he invites his friends, his real friends, not his churchy friends, his, his real life friends, tax collectors and sinners. And we said last week, the designation sinners um, denotes a, a, a portion of society that the, these are the most vile and violent and disreputable members of Galilean society. These are sinful people by anybody's recollection the tax collectors and sinners the tcns club and the pharisees can't get this can't get their mind around this jesus claims on one hand to be from god jesus claims to be god in fact but at the same time he can recline at table with he can give a clear signal of acceptance and fellowship with really sinful people. They can't wrap their head around that. They know God has to be separate from sin. But here's Jesus claiming to be from God, but to be with sinners. They can't get their, their minds around that. And, and in Jesus' answer, I explained a lot of Jesus' answer. They say, why does Jesus do this? How can he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus comes at himself and he talks to these Pharisees and he says, here's why I'm eating with these guys. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And last week, I said, here's what Jesus, here's what the Pharisees thought Jesus was saying. You guys don't need the sin doctor. You guys are righteous. I came for people who are sinful, and you guys you know, are okay, are righteous. Now, you'd think maybe they'd be flattered by that, but they don't like this answer at all, and that's kind of the subject of why they don't like that answer. Is kind of the subject of, of today's sermon, because they like sacrifice more than they like mercy. They don't want the tax collectors and sinners healed, They want them punished. And Jesus really wasn't telling them you're okay. Last week's sermon was about this. Jesus was saying, I can only relate to people who understand they're sick. I I can only enter into someone when they realize they need a Savior. The only people Jesus rejects are people who don't think they need Jesus. Here's what I want to sort of prove to you today. The Pharisees have this key verse backwards. Jesus says, I desire sacrifice or excuse me, I desire mercy more than sacrifice. That's why I called today's sermon uh, Mercy Greater Than Sacrifice. The Pharisees have that flipped. They want sacrifice more than they want mercy. Jesus told us to go and learn what this means, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, so let's do that. First, the easy part. What does it mean when Jesus says, I want mercy, and Jesus is saying, I, he's quoting himself. The prophet Hosea is the one who writes this, but it's God speaking um, in, the, in the book of Hosea, and, and Jesus being God is here quoting himself. Go and learn what this means, I desire mercy over sacrifice. What's that mean? I desire mercy the, uh, you notice the New American that I read from translates that word compassion instead of mercy. Uh, the, the Hebrew in the Old Testament, the Greek in the New Testament is rich enough to encompass uh, both of these words, and they're kind of the same thing, and I want you to see that. Here's what Jesus is saying. He wants, I desire to have mercy, down at the bottom of the screen. what Mercy, simply, is withholding punishment someone really does deserve. With withholding negative consequences, someone deserves. If I have done something bad, I deserve punishment, but for whatever reason, somebody withholds that punishment, cancels that punishment, that's mercy. Jesus says, that's how I want to deal with people. The New American translates this, compassion. Same sort of idea. Compassion, the English word compassion, means showing kindness and concern for someone who's in a position of serious need. That's how God wants to deal with us. God saw us in our condition of most serious need, which is sinfulness, separation from him. And he wanted to show kindness for us in that need. Compassion is also used of like giving to the poor or helping the sick. But in this context, he's talking about tax collectors and sinners. Jesus hanging out with sinful people. This is God having compassion toward us, toward people, because of uh, their sin. How does Jesus want to interact with people based on what? Mercy. Mercy. He wants to have mercy. But last week we talked about God will not have mercy on people who do not think they need mercy. God only has mercy on people who are poor in spirit, they recognize they're broken, uh, they're they're penniless. From a spiritual standpoint, we have to understand our need for a savior. You know what gets in the way of our understanding our our neediness, our sacrifices. Only when we realize we're lost, only when we realize we're unable to be righteous and good and healthy in God's eyes, only when we become poor in spirit can we be blessed with God's forgiveness. Because Jesus says, I only I only relate to people through mercy. That's how I relate to people. That's how I want to do it. Through mercy. And in some ways, the biggest obstacle to receiving God's mercy in my life, sometimes is my sacrifices. That's what I want to spend most of our time discussing. I mentioned that the Pharisees tend to get this backwards. They desire sacrifice more than mercy. The Pharisees feel like Jesus is attacking their definition of righteousness, and he really is. That's why they feel that way, because he is. The Pharisees have done a number of sacrifices that they think makes them righteous. In fact, everything the Pharisees have done that makes them feel righteous could be categorized as a series of sacrifices. Here's what they are. First, the most obvious, they've done religious sacrifices. They've taken animals to the temple like the Old Testament requires. They've done animal sacrifices. That's what God told me to do. That helps make me righteous. I have done it. The tax collectors and sinners have not. Jesus, how can you hang out with them? I've done the sacrifices. They haven't. They've done financial sacrifices. They give tithes and offerings like the Old Testament says they're supposed to. We're going to learn later in this book, they tithe everything. They open up their spice cupboards and they tithe like their paprika or whatever they had back then. I don't even know, right? But they tithe their spices. See, I've been sacrificial financially. The tax collectors are greedy financially. I've sacrificed. They haven't. How come you can hang out with them, Jesus, and not us? You said you came for them, not us. We've sacrificed our time. Do you know every Saturday... The Pharisees did nothing, and I mean nothing. They had very strict Sabbath rules. They didn't walk more steps than they were supposed to walk. They didn't lift more than they were supposed to lift. They they gave up an entire sacrifice one day a week. Tax collectors and sinners do not. How come you can hang out with them and you don't want to hang out with us? I've sacrificed in my lifestyle, the Pharisees would say. I don't go out making myself rich like the tax collectors. I don't go out carousing and partying and doing all that stuff like the tax collectors and sinners. We, make, we sacrifice that stuff. That's what makes us righteous. And then here comes Jesus. Someone who sure seems like he's from God with all the power that he has. And he comes along and and, and he calls a a serving tax collector as a disciple. And then he attends a party thrown by this tax collector and the most vile and violent and terrible people in society come. And Jesus goes in and befriends these people. That's what he does. Becomes their, their friend. And it's terribly offensive to the Pharisees. You know why? Because those tax collectors and sinners are getting relationship without sacrifice. The tax collectors and sinners get relationship with Jesus without sacrifice. And it's driving the Pharisees crazy. They they desire sacrifice, but more than that, they demand sacrifice before relationship can happen. Here's what they want. They want Jesus to march into that party and start telling them what they have to do before God can be okay with them and relate to them. And it's going to be a list of sacrifices. you got to go to the temple and kill this and put your hand on that and confess that. You better start tithing this. You better give up that. You cut out that. Stop doing those things. You start doing these things. I better see some sacrifice and you better make it stick. It better be consistent then we can hang out. They want to see contrition. They want to see penance before there can be relationship. And they think Jesus should feel the same way. Now, that sort of system of sacrificing becomes a barrier to mercy. Why? Why? Because to sacrifice is to earn. To sacrifice is to earn. It's to deserve. The Pharisees think they deserve to be the kind of people the chosen one of God would come hang out with. We're the ones that deserve this. Why? Look at all these sacrifices. Look at what I've done that should put me at the top of the list of people God should want to hang out with. Here's the problem, though. If that's what makes me acceptable to God, if I do things well enough, if I sacrifice enough sacrifices, how much mercy do then I do I then need? Sacrifices remove my need for mercy. I, I sacrificed all the sinful things I used to do, I sacrificed my time. I do all these sacrifices, I do all the religious stuff. Now I no longer I don't need mercies for people who deserve punishment. If I do everything well enough, I don't need punishment anymore. That's why Jesus told these guys go and learn what this means. I want to relate to people. In fact, I will only relate to people through mercy. I can I can only relate to people who understand that if I'm not merciful, I can't hang out with them. If you're going to depend upon your sacrifices and your record of goodness to make you acceptable to me, we can't hang out. But if you'll cry out for mercy... I'll come right in, lay down at the table with you. And what I love about this story is you have the worst of the worst. and I've been pointing over here for the tax collectors and sinners, so I'll keep it consistent. The tax collectors and sinners are the worst of the worst. Jesus said, hey, if they understand their need, I can hang out with them. And the Pharisees are like the best of the best, the best rule followers around, and Jesus says, I can't hang out with them. It is not the people with the least sin that God can hang out with. It's just not. It's the people who understand they need mercy. Does all that make sense? This is the part where you nod your head and make me feel like I've done a good job up to this point. Well, if so, hear me this morning, church. We all have sacrifices that we tend to think make us good make us righteous. See, Jesus, or, or Matthew as the author maybe, he sets this up to where the, the, the worst of the worst are over here and the best of the best are over here, but we don't like the Pharisees, do we? They're, by this time, they're the obvious bad guys. Nobody wants to be like the bad guys. But, but this isn't a Pharisee problem. This is a human problem. It's not just Pharisees who do this. If we could get in our time machine and go back and ask the Pharisees if they think they are righteous because they've been sinlessly perfect and have never made a mistake, none of them would would say that's me. They would all say, I know nobody's perfect. You know, that's why I've done these things. That's why I've made these sacrifices so that I can make up for the bad stuff I've done. They are so much more like us than I think we are willing to to believe, We all have sacrifices we tend to think make us righteous, good, better, superior. I don't know what yours are, but here's some examples. Maybe your sacrifice that you think puts you above others is, is the stuff you have done in your church or in your family usually it goes down like this. There's this little, this resentment that starts to build up. and You start to say, how come I'm the only one who, how come nobody else around here ever, how come nobody notices that I've done this and this and this and this and this? And, this? and then, maybe someone else who hasn't sacrificed what you've sacrificed in time and effort, gets noticed, gets appreciated, gets whatever. And that, man, that, you just really resent that. If that sounds familiar, hold on to it for a second. Maybe your sacrifice that makes you feel better is stuff you have given up in life. Have you ever thought this? I didn't go out partying and drinking and carousing like some people. I didn't, I didn't run with the in crowd and get to have all the friends and be popular like some people. Or maybe I've given all that up unlike some people. And then you hear somebody like some people have the audacity to talk like they have a relationship with Jesus. Jesus. Or maybe they do something in church. And you go, how can somebody like that get to talk like they think they're a Christian? Or maybe your sacrifice is more like this. The sacrifice you've made is you have learned how to get along with people like tax collectors and sinners. You are... You are, you are forgiving, and you are kind, and you are compassionate. You are tolerant. And you see somebody else who isn't that way. To you, they seem mean and controlling and abrasive. And then you hear that person talk like they love Jesus. Or you see them doing something in church, and you have this resentment like, Ugh, like that person's really like Jesus. Ugh, turns my stomach. You know what all that stuff is? It's saying they haven't sacrificed like I've sacrificed. They're getting, they, they think they're getting the relationship without the sacrifices. We all do this somewhere. We all tend to believe our sacrifices make us better, gooder, superior. And we tend to want similar sacrifices from other people before we can relate to them. I want to see you do what I've done before we can relate. You got to give that up. You got to confess this to me. You got to change that. You got to start doing that. You got to stop doing those things. Make all that stick, be consistent, and then we can have a relationship. You know what's stopping this relationship? Your refusal to sacrifice like I have. The problem with that is Jesus never demonstrated that that's the way he works. Over and over and over in the Gospels, Jesus does what he did with Matthew and his friends. He he does relationship First and behavioral change out of relationship and through relationship. Please don't hear me wrong. There's got to be behavioral changes sometimes. When Luke tells us this story, Luke adds one little word. Matthew leaves it out. Luke says that Jesus called sinners to repentance. So repentance is, is real stuff. It's needed. But mercy is first. Behavioral change is never the prerequisite for relationship. It's never blackmail for relationship. Jesus would enter into relationship. And changes come throughout that. Like uh, there's a guy named Zacchaeus. He was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. Remember that one? He was a tax collector too. People hated his guts too. He was lonely. Nobody liked him. Jesus is just passing through Jericho and he looks up in a tree because Zacchaeus is hiding up there because he doesn't want anybody to see him because he's sick of how people look at him. And Jesus says, hey, Zacchaeus, what are you doing up in that tree? I'm supposed to be, out of all these people in Jericho, I'm supposed to be with you in your house. I pick you to friend. Same exact result as what happens here. Everybody's like, he's getting the relationship without the sacrifice. Yeah. It's the way Jesus works. You know why? Jesus is the sacrifice. He is the sacrifice that establishes relationship. So with Zacchaeus, they go in, they become friends. Zacchaeus' behavior begins to change. We do a woman at the well. We could do passage after passage after passage. Man, you think about this: Why do we have certain kinds of people that we, we just cannot relate to? Like in our branch of, the, of Christianity, how have divorced people been treated? How about single moms? about people who struggle with sexual sins that, that differently than the way you struggle with sexual sins. Man, we have, we have outcasts because we tend to demand sacrifice before we will give relationship. How do we, how do we address that? How do we begin to fix that? tendency that's in us our tendency is to want sacrifice more than mercy see mercy requires that I'm just merciful toward you I see the sin I see the problem I see who you really are but I'm willing to relate to dive in to be with you that's a that's a relationship based on mercy We, we tend to demand sacrifice first because I want you to make it safe for me to be with you. I mean, what's everybody going to say if I hang out with somebody like you? What might people think of me if I begin a relationship with you? So we we want it to be safe for me. How do we begin to have mercy-based relationships rather than sacrifice-based relationships? First, And we've got to stop doing comparative righteousness. Um, We have to there is one sacrifice, one sacrifice that makes people righteous, and it is nothing you or I have done. Jesus Christ, slain on a cross, when I place my faith in that, he gives me his righteousness, his record of sin, which so far eclipses mine, that it, it doesn't do any good for me to keep score as far as our, our behaviors and who is more righteous or, or, or less righteous. It's damaging. Um, we all have a tendency to see the, the kind of sins I sin as JV sins and the kind of sins other people sins as, as varsity sins. And the reason I can't relate to you is because you have the bad ones. And mine are just, I mean, there's, don't get me wrong. I know I'm not perfect. But look at what I've done. Look at how I've grown. Look at what I've improved. Sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice. Um, you know what an abomination is? You ever hear that word? That's an old-school King James word we need to bring back, mainly because it's fun to say. Abomination. It's like hatred on steroids. And there are certain things in the Bible that God calls an abomination. And it's a pretty bad list of stuff. You know what else is on that list? Pride is an abomination to the Lord. Which means, where I've been selfish self-focused want myself to be raised above others I've been and continue to be abominable in my behavior to the Lord it doesn't get any worse than abomination Um, envy strife quarreling misuse of God's resources lust hatred worry hurtful words pining for acceptance from people above God if you've got any of that stuff rolling around in your heart, you've got an endless need for mercy. An endless need for mercy. Now, this is true. You may have fewer sins than someone else you know. It has to be true. Right? We don't have equal numbers of sins. That's impossible. The question is, if you have fewer sins than someone else, does that make you more righteous in any like statistically significant way? The answer to that is no. What comparative righteousness does is it compares minutiae and ignores... Here's, here's my favorite illustration of this. Uh, it's an old one, but it's, it's still the best one. Let's say we get done with church. And I said, we're all going to go out here to where the highway curves back west. We're going to get some rocks. And we are all going to try to throw rocks into the Great Salt Lake. Right? It's in Utah, in case you didn't know. And I looked on a map because I wanted to find something straight west. And it's really close. Now, you may have to aim your rock just a click north to hit it. But if you go out here on this highway and throw west, if you throw it far enough, you will get your rock in the Great Salt Lake. And here's the deal. If you get your rock in the Great Salt Lake, you get a bazillion dollars courtesy of the Imperial Berean Church. Okay? You, that's the, but if you don't, you get nothing. The only goal is throwing your rock in the Great Salt Lake. All right, so we all go out there and start throwing. Who wins? Nobody. So everyone loses. Now, how silly... Would it be then? If we get tape measures out and measure our throws, so we can walk around and go, eh, "I threw farther than Marlena did," you know, <laughs> right? No, who cares? None of us got one one hundredth of one percent of the way to the goal. So who cares? If yours was a little bit bigger than mine, was, it's, it's senseless. That's comparative righteousness. If the only righteousness that matters is Jesus Christ that I've already been given, then the fact that I have fewer sins or more sins than you, the fact that that would keep me from relating to you, is anti-gospel. Now, does that mean I must ignore all of your sins and pretend your sin really isn't sin? Paul would say, may it never be, but, it, but my relationship can't be the bait that I use to try and fix your sin. The numbers of my sin can't be the reason I no longer hang out or I can't be around you. Within relationship, we sharpen one another. Why? I, because because he will try to shape us into something closer to him. Which brings me to number two. So we stop doing comparative righteousness to decide how, who we relate to. Second, we stop seeing quitting sins as sacrifice. This is a sneaky one. How many of you ever, have it, how many ever... Let me try that again. It's First day with a new tongue. I had a tongue transplant last night. Um... How many of you have ever felt like this? You see somebody who's still involved in stuff you used to do, or maybe you never started doing, and you kind of get this sneaky kind of resentment that goes, how come they get to be out there having all the fun? Anybody? Listen, when God threw a relationship that he started in me, when he begins to cut away parts of my life that he, doesn't like, that he doesn't like, that's not sacrifice for me. That's gain. That's growth. If I look at somebody else and they're still stuck in something that I know will rob their joy and leave them empty and just trying one more thing to fill that hole in in their heart that I know won't work, I shouldn't envy them. I should should desire to still be with them and have a good enough relationship to them where I can help them with an issue like that after they are confident of my relationship to them, that they know I care about them. I want what is best for them. They may reject that later also, That's the goal. Second, my service. I can't see all the things I do around here as my righteousness sacrifices. Again, out of my relationship to the Lord, if I do something that glorifies Him and builds other people up, that's not sacrifice that makes me more righteous. That's an opportunity I have to serve my King. And then I just have to see, I call it gospel relationships, but all of them are. Relationships must be mercy-based endeavors. They must be mercy-based endeavors. Otherwise, there'll be competition. Who's done the most? Who's failed the most? And it doesn't work. Go and learn what this means, Jesus said. I want mercy and not sacrifice. God wants to have mercy toward us. But he only has mercy on those who understand they're not—they're not righteous. Their rock doesn't get to the Great Salt Lake or anywhere statistically close. No matter how much further I throw it than anybody else's, he can only relate to those who understand when he's saved or unrighteous. But God doesn't just want mercy like toward us. God wants mercy from us. Doesn't that make sense? If he's trying to make us like him. He wants, he wants mercy on us. Not to just make us people who keep score of who's doing better now. He wants mercy from us. Why don't you bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful that because of your great love for us, you became the sacrifice we needed to be righteous. The only one that does any good. Is the sacrifice you have already made. But God, um, we tend to appreciate sacrifice, to demand sacrifice, and we will withhold relationship pending sacrifice. That's not how you roll, God. Because we want to be more like you. teach us, shape us, show us, lead us and how to how to be merciful how to be compassionate how to care enough to, to dive into the the messiness of people's lives and give love that's based on mercy rather than give acceptance that's based on sacrifice. Make us more like you, to your glory, in Jesus' name, amen.